Brilliant. Okay, if you have a Bible, turn to John, Book of John, Gospel of John, New Testament. It's the fourth book in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's one of the four biographical histories of, of Jesus. And uh, it uh, is a beautiful book, actually. If you've never read the Bible, if you've never read any of the Gospels, it's a fantastic place to start. It's the book that changed my life, the Gospel of John. Before I read the Gospel of John, I was a committed atheist. Um, and uh, a friend of mine was converted. And uh, I, I genuinely felt sorry for him. And I felt sad for him. And I actually felt, I wasn't overly concerned for him because he, he obviously hadn't lost his marbles. Um, but the thing that you think, uh, as, you, as you know, is that Christians somehow have to take this leap away from the, the use of their reason um, in order to believe the things that they believe. And sometimes, as Christians, we are not brilliant at dispelling that misconception. We, uh, <laughs> so a book like this one is an excellent book to read. If you are a guest, take it, read it. It may stretch you a little bit, but it's a, it's a very, very good read. If you're a Christian and you've not read this book, and you want to become more effective at communicating your faith to people outside of the faith, this is an excellent book. It doesn't cover every issue, but it covers some of the main objections that most people in our culture, in the Western world, have to Christianity. It hits the main objections, and so it's a book to equip you to help you explain your faith more effectively to others. It's an excellent, excellent book. Um, I think the thing about uh, healing and prayer, how long have, when do you finish? It's 12 o'clock, we've been here forever already. <laughs> Quarter to two. I was going to say, <laughs> alive. This is the first time I've been to Glasgow. Is nothing else happening? You know. Okay, I've got 45 minutes. I just wanted to read you, I was in, I was in The Hague in Holland uh, a few weeks ago and we had a little time of prayer like we did now and it's amazing what can happen in just such a little time of prayer isn't it isn't it wonderful we got two clear testimonies of healing which I would suggest to you is evidence that something beyond the psychological is happening here um, and uh, there was a guy there I'm 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 living from I mean I'm from Cape Town I'm living from Cape Town I've been there 15 years and uh, with my wife uh, two of our kids were born here, and uh, the second two um, were born in, in South Africa, in Cape Town. So we're, we're really settled there. It's where we live. Um, but I was visiting The Hague, and this South African guy was in the congregation and prayed a prayer like I prayed just now. And, and, and you know, in this, in this church, we pray for the sick regularly, so it's not a hugely unusual thing. Um, but he was healed. So he's this massive South African guy, big kind of, you know, like rugby playing South African, massive, I'm looking up to him. And he's, he's blubbering. You know, it's after the service and he's at the front and he can hardly talk and he's crying. You don't often see South African men cry, not the, the real ones. And uh, 
where, where am I? Oh, here we go. I've only, it's only come through recently, so I haven't got it printed out yet. But he says, I'm the South African guy that was healed during your visit to Redeemer a few weeks ago. Let me start at the beginning. Last weekend in February of this year, this year, I was in a massive car accident just outside Kronstadt in South Africa. I was very fortunate to survive. I was in ICU for about a week and had some pretty nasty injuries. And then he lists the injuries. Because at the time, he just said, I think I've been healed. I said, fantastic. You know, what happened? Well, I was in a car accident and just every, all the pain's gone. It's all. So he listed, this is what he was healed from. Uh, I broke a couple of ribs, tore all my rib muscles, broke my chest bone, my lung was punctured, tore my groin muscle, tore my knee ligaments, and broke my leg just below the knee. Also, I had a very bad concussion. The first two days after the accident is still a blur. What was meant to be a five-day holiday in South Africa turned into a very painful nine weeks. My girlfriend was in the car. Luckily, she only broke her collarbone. For the first four to five months after the accident, I couldn't walk properly. I was immobile. Up until the week before your visit, I had physiotherapy every week and was still in constant pain and discomfort. On the morning of the sermon, I was in quite a bit of pain, and it was a really difficult day. When you started praying... I was standing, and my leg and my chest were killing me. I was basically standing in just my left leg because the right one was in too much pain. When you said that you'd like to pray for healing, my first thought was, honestly, I had nothing to lose. So I just stuck out my arms. And when you said that you just have to receive the healing or something to that effect, the weirdest feeling ever filled me. I didn't have a clue what was happening, but I knew something big happened. I tried to step on the leg and it felt seriously weird. I stood on the leg and it felt completely abnormal because there was no more pain. I even stood just on the, on the right leg and absolutely nothing. Then I just started feeling my chest and once again there was no more pain. I was completely freaked out. I went to the front after the service and honestly I had no words when Chris, that's the guy who's leading the church plant over there, when Chris came over and asked me uh, if, there, if I was there for prayer, all I could say was, I think I was just healed. He then started praying for me, and I cried my eyes out. After he prayed for me, I was standing there, and I couldn't believe what had happened. I was seriously doubting what had just happened. This is the opposite of positive confession and all that. Um, I thought that I was just making all this up in my head. I, I was just so desperate that I thought I was imagining this. Another guy from the church started to pray and so on. And then he talks about the difference. So he says, I'm a very avid rugby supporter, and I do a bit of coaching. This is really been a struggle the last couple of months and after a training session I would be completely drained from just walking and being on my feet for the session. The week before this healing a player accidentally touched me on the ribs while I was explaining something and I almost cried because of the pain. I was also not even able to jog for 50 meters without being in too much pain to continue. After the healing, I was at training on the Tuesday and I decided to give it a go and train with the players for a while. It went so well that I ended up running and training with them for almost an hour and a half. I almost threw up because of the fact that I'm unfit. And if you're, if you're involved in any kind of sport, you'll know to be out for seven months makes a major difference. Um, I know that not from personal experience. I know I said that authoritatively. Like, and if you know anything about sports, you know. So, but the, so I'm told. But he says, so I almost threw up because of the fact that I'm unfit, but absolutely no more pain. My brain is still not big enough to understand what happened, but I thank God for it. I still struggle to put it into words what happened and how it happened, but I know that it was God that healed me 
and I can, cannot put into words how grateful and overjoyed I am. Isn't that great? Yeah. It's just fantastic. It's just fantastic. So, the, what I love about this is that the, you know, we, we feel that, well, how do we deal with a strongly secular Europe? How do we deal with a strongly secular Scotland, England, uh, you know, why else? There's, there's the move towards, against and away from religious faith into a kind of the reality of a, the secular world can be a difficult one for us to speak into as people of faith. But here's a key for us, which is the power of the Holy Spirit working in healing in a missional context in a context which is evangelistic, in a context where there are those who have a different worldview, just like Jesus. And it's wonderful when we see these kind of moments of, of the Spirit touching people's lives. Okay, so John chapter 5. Did I say chapter 5? No. John chapter 5, and I'm going to try and end at, let's say, 22. And we have a short time of prayer. And then we can go. So, sometime later, this is the New International. That's my cup of tea. You can't sit on my cup of tea. Mm, it's lovely. There are no flat surfaces. Okay, here we go. Uh, sometime, after, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored, uh, sorry, covered colonnades. You get these little details in the Gospels, and you think, why, why are those details there? Why is the Gospel so rich with these uh, incidental details? If guys were making this up, if it wasn't history, it wouldn't have those kinds of details in them. The fact that there are lots of kind of almost irrelevant incidental details that don't, don't add anything actually to the story the fact that they're there is evidence again that this is an authentically written historical document when you come to the bible you are not coming to a book that is all just oh it's all just in the spirit no 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 there is structure there are people with strong clear intellects who have crafted this book written it together recorded the history and anyway, so that's why we get some of these little incidental details that don't necessarily add anything to the story. And then when they do these archaeological digs, they find, hey, in exactly the same spot where they said there was this pool, there are indeed the remnants of five uh, colonnades there, right there. Anyway, so uh, here a great number of uh, paralyzed people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed, or sick people used to lie. One who was there had been unwell for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, so enter Jesus, he'd seen him there, he heard that he'd been there a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the man replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. 
The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jews, the religious leaders, said to the man who'd been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But, so for those who want to go back to Old Testament Torah observance, this is what you're asking for. No, you can't do this. The Sabbath, the, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But, he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Now, I love this verse. Now, this is an aside, forgive me, but there are books on healing that give you the idea that you've got to have all the information before you can receive a healing. You've got to know all these verses, you've got to recite all these verses, you've got to know A, B, C, D, E, and F in order to receive the healing. Who is this man? I love this verse. The man who was healed had no idea. <laughs> Don't you love that? The, the man who was healed had no idea. He just didn't have the, not the first steps in any kind of theology of healing or anything. He just had no idea who it was who healed him. I love that. And I've lost the verse. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Now, because it's Jesus, he doesn't leave this guy in ignorance. He teaches this guy. Jesus is not just a healer, he's a teacher. There is this power dimension, there is this healing dimension, and then there is this intellectual dimension to who Jesus is and to how Christianity works. So Jesus is a healer and he's a teacher. These things belong together. We play into the hands of the devil when we try and separate them. Jesus came healing and teaching. That's why wherever Christianity is spread around the world, we've built hospitals and schools and universities. Just track, just track the story of Christianity developing and breaking into nation after nation after nation. You'll see the, the whole history of the nursing profession. If you're a nurse, you're in something that has specifically sprung out of a Christian impulse. The nursing orders were specifically Christian in their beginnings. And the development of and the growth of modern scientific medicine around the world, particularly in respect of the building of hospitals, was absolutely fueled by Christian missionaries. You can check that for China, you can check that for Africa, you can see that happening in India. Wherever the Gospels come, these two elements of Jesus' ministry have advanced as well. He came healing and he came teaching. Now, within the healing kind of bracket over here, Again, I wouldn't see a huge kind of tension between miraculous healing, prayer that responds in healing, such as we've seen uh, this morning, and medicinal healing. I love the fact that when we don't get a result through prayer, we provide a solution in terms of hospital care and all the rest of it. That, all of that has come out of... But the hospital has been taken up, obviously, by culture after culture after culture, since then, but do a little bit of research in the, in the history books and you'll see these things are true. Jesus came healing and teaching. Those two things belong together. Um, so, therefore, later, Jesus found him at the temple. So he doesn't leave him in his ignorance. The impulse to want to provide content, information, teaching is important. It's part of how Jesus is caring for this man. 
not just the healing. And he said to him, and this here comes now, moral imperative, see you are well again, stop sinning. Oh, right, Ooh, that's a bit in your face and personal. What, what? Stop sinning, he says, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that the term Jews there, they've changed, it's, it's really, it's kind of code for the religious leaders, that it was Jesus who had made him well. Well, look, let me just run through the story. I've done that a little bit on the, the asides that I've wanted to just throw in. When people need help, they will try a number of different things. They'll try anything. They really will. I mean, and that's a, an understandable thing. So when you're faced with a condition and you've tried the kind of normal procedures and it hasn't really worked, people do. This guy now is sitting at this pool. I mean, it's, it's a bit pathetic. He's hoping that somehow when the pool bubbles up, which we presume was a, <laughs> yeah, something strange, not just someone who'd had too much baked beans, let's put it like that. The, when the waters bubbled up, which we hope was a kind of a clean version of that, something would happen that someone might get healed. There is a kind of a superstitious thing, and people will They'll, they'll try the craziest things to, to try and get healed, to try and get a breakthrough. People value their health. And here, of course, we see that people are gathered by this pool. But there's one man there, and he's the forgotten man. He's the forgotten man. He can't get in. He's got no one to help him. Everyone else seems to be, maybe he's sat there, you know, and he's seen others getting help, and he's seen families come and go, and he's, you know, but he's just on his own. I mean, it's actually a sad thing to see this guy. There was no help from him. He says, who will help me? He says, when Jesus asks him the question. And there are lots of people that feel like that. There are loads of people around this man. He's not on his own in the middle of a field. There are loads of people coming and going, but he's alone. And people, maybe you feel like that. You know, you're aware of people, and people have got friends, that it's, you know, they're connected and things are happening. But maybe you feel maybe a bit forgotten, but this man wasn't forgotten by God. He wasn't forgotten by God. He may have been forgotten by man. And maybe people have given up on him, but Jesus didn't give up on him. Jesus hadn't given up on this guy. He saw this man, and he cared for this man. It is a truth that you can trust, that God cares for you. God cares for you, specifically you. He cares about you, and He loves you. And the second thing we see is that Jesus asked him an important question, and the question was, look at the text, what's the question? Yeah, do you want to get well? Now, you think, well, that's a crazy question. He's sitting there. But you know, sometimes you can get into a pattern of life, even with a sickness, or it can just become a personality thing that you need to be helped. Poor me. And people can actually get, I've found this with healing, that sometimes with the more chronic conditions that are sometimes healed, people have not even necessarily responded for that condition because they've so adapted their life to that condition that actually 
they're, they're coming for prayer for something else. When they get healed of that, or when God seems to challenge them about that condition prior to their being healed, they have to kind of count the cost of what it would mean for them to actually be free. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Some of us don't realize that we need help. A friend of mine said he heard a disturbance one evening outside his house, and he went outside and he had a look, and there was a guy lying on the pavement, drunk. And so he said, are you okay? And the guy said, oh, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. I just can't stand up. You know, now we're like that sometimes, aren't we? We're like that. We think it's all fine, but actually we can't really function. I was in Newcastle for a couple of years. And I still support the team. And what a season. And... Uh, don't know what happened yesterday. No, no, it was international. Okay. Sorry, no, 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 it's very important. But anyway, uh, I've forgotten the story now. <laughs> Something interesting happened there when I lived there. And uh, it was that I was preaching, and I preached about the cross. And afterwards, uh, I was chatting to one of the students there, and uh, he's 19, and we're chatting away, and I'm and I'm saying, so what did you think of the, you know, the service this morning? And how did it, you know, what kind of, I'm always looking for feedback, particularly from guests. That's the, sometimes the most helpful feedback. And uh, he said, no, no, I'm not interested really in this. And I came along, but I'm not interested in this. And I felt that, I felt God saying to me, urging me, tell him again about the cross. So I thought, I just, okay. So I just said, listen, the one thing that you just need to remember to take away even though I, I know it's a, it's, a, it's a different thing and you don't believe what we're believing. But the one thing to take away is that Jesus actually died on the cross for your sins and my sins. So the cross is the centerpiece. The cross is the, the important thing, the crucial. The word crucial comes from crux. It's the cross. The crucial thing, the word means the cross. It's the central thing that Jesus died on the cross for us to take away our sins. Well, he said, I don't, you know, okay, I know, but you believe that, I don't. I felt God saying to me again, say it again. I thought, but that's going to come across like I'm, you know, like I'm being a bit insensitive. I'm not really, but, so I, I kind of tried to say it a different way, and I, I said it again, and then a third time I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, I know this is difficult to explain uh, to you, but I just felt a sense from God that I should say it again. So I said again a third time, but the, the thing is, just to kind of reiterate it once more, what, what I'm really saying is, <laughs> you know, that Jesus, you know, loved us. He died on the cross for our sins. It was actually, there was an exchange there that when he died on the cross, he took the punishment for the sins that I've, the things that I've done wrong, and that we've all done. He took the punishment there instead of us so that we could be forgiven. I thought, please, God, don't tell me to say it again. <laughs> I've run out of different ways of saying the same thing. And that was it. <coughs> he left. He wasn't interested. And, the, and this was a life lesson for me. The following Thursday, I heard, someone said to me, hey, you know that guy you were talking to on Sunday? He was out jogging with, in those days, a Sony Walkman, which was like a, 
mobile cassette recorder. <laughs> that you, you strapped to your belt like a large thing hanging on there. You know, with, <laughs> with yeah, they didn't have in, inner ear, you know, with big, large, fluffy, you know, wind reduction pads. <laughs> but it's not funny. He's running along listening to his music and jogging. This is in Newcastle now. And a car lost control, hit him from behind, and he died on, on the roadside. 19 years old on the Tuesday. And I heard it on the Thursday. When I heard that, you know what? It really sobered me up. I mean, I just thought, whoa, man, this is serious. Because even I, in that moment, thought, Okay, he's got time to think and consider. He's only 19, he's at university, he's a bright guy, he's got time. And it was done, and I thought, I got a kind of, a fear kind of feeling. I know someone said, God's not scary. Well, but he is God. So, what we're talking, it's not, this isn't a joke, you know, this isn't, I know you weren't, I'm not, criticizing what you said, I, I, but I, you know what I mean. There is this, whoa, serious side to this. Could it be that what I said to him was the last time, the last chance that he actually had to make a decision about whether or not he was going to seek God for the forgiveness of his sins? You'd never think that. You'd never think that. I didn't think it. But that sobered me up. Do you want to get well? I mean, because we say, well, no, I've got plenty of time, you know. I mean, and I'm not really that sick, spiritually. So, uh, Jesus says to this guy, do you want to get well? And part of the issue for you is not just to say, well, I can keep coming along. I keep. There's a point where you need to make a decision. And I think that point's come now. Today. I think that point's come today. Do you want to get well? We know, we know addicts don't realize they need help often until it's really, 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 really bad. But many of us don't realize that we actually need help. All of us have broken God's law. All of us are going to die, whether it's age 19 or 89 or 99. All of us are going to face God and alone. Alone before God. So all of us have got the challenge of God's law. All of us have got the challenge of the reality of death. All of us have got the challenge of the reality of judgment. All of us have got the challenge of the possibility of hell. So there is a kind of, there is a kind of serious side that kind of sobers you up if you feel Jesus has brought you to a place where he's saying to you, so how is it with you? Do you want to get well? Do you want to see a change in your life? Do you want to have your sins forgiven? Do you want to turn to God? And the guy, he, you know, well, no one helps me. I don't know. And Jesus gives him a powerful command. Just two more points. Jesus actually tells him what to do. Now, we don't like this either. We don't like being told what to do. We, don't, we like to kind of find it for ourselves yeah. so that it kind of feels like oh, I'm, I made that decision but 
Oh, if you're like me, maybe it's just me. Is it just only me out of me and Teresa? (laughs) That noise, by the way, you won't hear anywhere else in the world. That is a that is a Teresa specific noise, and it goes. It's kind of like that. It's like a, I love you. (laughs) Don't change. No, I know. (laughs) You can get away with having a little dig at the pastor. Having a dig at the pastor's wife, that could be fatal. If there's news next Sunday of a death in the parking lot. You know, the unidentified man with South African connections. I know, thanks. Jesus says, he tells him what to do. Now, I don't know why it is that we resist kind of being told what to do. But, and becoming a Christian doesn't mean you you just become like a, you know, just, okay, I do that, I do that, I do that, I do, you know. For me, becoming a Christian engaged my mind. There was an element of freedom. It's the opposite in the sense of that kind of submission. You know, it wasn't like that. When I got sight, when I came to Christ, when I realized He he is the way, the truth, and the life, there was freedom. Uh, But it was also included a freedom that said, Tell me what to do, Lord. I mean, I didn't even know you existed. This is amazing. So, guide me. I, yes, I want to be a disciple. Yeah, I didn't really know any Christians. I had this one guy who'd become a Christian. I felt sorry for him. I said to him, you, they, they took you in when you were vulnerable. You, the weak spot there, you've opened the crack in the door. You're in now. Let me help. I was going to bring him to repentance. <laughs> I was going to bring him back into the real world and get back on his feet again and we'll start living life again. Yeah. You know, that, honestly, that, I'm not exaggerating. That's it. So I said, come on, they gave you books, literature, something. They gave it to you. I'm better at books than you are. So give me the books they gave you. I'll carefully look at them. I'll show you. That was my, that was my plan. <laughs> well, I haven't got to the joke. There's no joke part. There's no punchline. <laughs> he gave me the Gospel of John. I started reading the Gospel of John. I expect this is going to be easy. This will be easy. Contradictions. <laughs> there must be millions. No, I asserted all the time. There were loads of contradictions to the Bible. Inconsistent, unreadable, boring whatever, pre-scientific, you know, it's all going to be easy. Fairy tales, whales are suddenly going to speak and become islands. You know, flowers are going to be singing. It's going to be easy peasy. I read the Gospel of John, you know, whoo, what a surprise. And so I didn't have the, 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 the jargon. I had been to church twice in my life. Once was about a year before, where I, after an all-night party, they said, oh, let's, let's for a laugh, let's go to church. And for some reason, it was agreed, which was ridiculous. <laughs> so we kind of staggered out. You know, you've been up all night. I could do it in those days. And you can, you know, go, there's a church, where's a church? Oh, that looks like a church. And we went, and uh, it was about 300 or so people, and a, ni- a nice, nice venue, actually. It was done quite well. 
and they would, they were kind of, there's a little bit of excitement, a slightly kind of 70s pop style music. <laughs> um, but I was deeply offended by one of the songs they sang. It's an old song, most of you won't know it, but it's, uh, I think it's a Chris Bowater song. I delight greatly in the Lord, my soul rejoices in my, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. Well, when I heard them singing that and saw it up on the screen, I thought that was the most obscene thing I'd ever heard in my life. Here is a group of people who are celebrating that they are the good ones, that they are righteous, you know, obviously in distinction to the outsider, of whom I consider myself a um, representative, uh, you know, and they're celebrating their righteousness. It was the most obscene thing I think I'd ever heard in my life up to that time. I was so outraged, I pulled out my notepad and my pen and I wrote it down. <laughs> oh, don't mess with me. I'll write it down. I did, and that's, <laughs> and that's how I can remember it. That's how I can remember it. Apart from that, they used to write every, any good thought that came to me, I would write it down in those days. But so, I, I was just outraged. I was outraged. And then there was a, a movement, a kerfuffle, and I thought it was the end of the service. And for years after I got converted, I thought, no, there was no preaching that time I went to church. Only later did I think back, oh no, that's when they sent the kids out. But see, we were get, we didn't know. We, we did, well, it was the first time into church, we didn't have a clue. So when all this movement happened, and you know, they didn't do what you'd said, like we're gonna ha- you were going to have a sermon after this. So everyone kind of got, so we thought, oh, well, that wasn't too bad. It <laughs> 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 was, wasn't so long, you know. All right, it was a little bit lively, it was, but it was fine. The next time I went to church was uh, at Holland Road Baptist Church. This is all happening in Hove. In Hove, yeah, yeah where for some reason I had a large number of stones in my pocket. <laughs> so they sent this little uh, offering thing. I don't know who designed that little thing. You know, it's got two pieces of wood and then a kind of sack. <laughs> Satin sack. So, I've never seen anything like that in my life before. What is that? So, I just emptied my whole pocket, filled the... I don't know why I had stones in my pocket. I don't know. I didn't deliberately take them there. I mean, I just, they were just there. You know, I, as, as, so, and, and it had no impact on me at all. If someone had told me at either of those two church experiences... Listen, in a short time, you're going to be standing at the front declaring that this is the answer. I would have said words that I am no longer allowed to say. (laughs) I mean, it's just unbelievable. So I took the Gospel of John, I'm starting to read it, and as over a period of time, I'm beginning to... So I was converted by reading. I mean, and I'm telling you, the power of God changed my life through reading reading this book. This isn't just an ordinary book. This is living. I used to say, I said it before, the Bible is a dead book, a book that you can't trust because you don't know how much is the word of the church, i.e. political, keep people in their place. You don't know how much is the word of 
Christ are you spiritual but you can you could study the Bible that was my downfall so when I'm alone not arguing with Christians as I used to enjoy doing just reading for myself searching very carefully for the contradictions I just was blown away I mean, has anybody ever read this you know actually I'm running out of time aren't I but the first book I ever read of the Bible was the Song of Solomon because this friend of mine Glenn see he got converted. Brand new Christians, they do strange things. So he went out and he bought this secondhand antique pulpit Bible. You know, it's one of these great big things that go when you put them down with a clasp and you open it. You know, you could, you could hurt your back. You could pull your back for a week and a half just by opening this thing. So I opened it and it was kind of in the middle. It's an old King James. I always liked, you know, Shakespeare and all that. So I'm looking at it and, and it's opened at the middle of Song of Solomon. And so the, the old language didn't bother me, and I thought, oh, hold on. <laughs> what? Is this right? Yeah, it is the Bible. The Song of Solomon is an erotic love poem. <laughs> there are bosoms in the Bible. You know, it's like, what is this? So I go back to the beginning of the Song of Solomon, and I can't believe it. I read it through in one sitting, and then I, I, I said, hold on, everybody, the imaginary crowds that weren't there. Just wait a second before we write this book completely off. Actually, you know, the Bible's not all that bad. I couldn't believe it. It's, it's really naughty. I mean, it is. It's rudy moody. And I, it was just, I couldn't believe it. So that's the background to getting to the Gospel of John. So my kind of respect for the Bible had gone from absolutely no respect at all to, hey, hold on, actually, some of those guys were interested in some things. <laughs> did I really say the word bosoms just now? I did. Is that okay? I feel a bit nervous that I've said that now. Yeah, but I mean... <laughs> okay, I don't want to know what you said. So, <laughs> but it was a shock. It was like that. It was like that. It was a shock. Like, I can't believe this. And then I got to the Gospel of John, and I'm looking for the contradictions, and instead I get Jesus. Wow. Who is defending the weak, who is meeting need, who is bringing solutions to people's brokenness, who's healing the sick, and parents are bringing their kids to him and the crowds are coming he's standing up single-handedly against religious hypocrisy and he's absolutely blasting them I thought whoa this is uh, this is good you know I didn't like it but it's good it, I had a kind of emerging dangerous desire to actually like this I couldn't find and then some of the things he said began to kind of get through and they were kind of large-scale things I am the way and the truth and the life I am the light of the world I am the good shepherd I am the bread of life I mean incredible things that he said come to me all you are weary and heavy laden I'll give you rest wow what leadership Jesus steps forward and says I'll take responsibility for your life that's leadership to the world Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And nothing else I'd read actually 
offered that or claimed that even. And so part of it is that you say, okay, I want this. Tell me what to do. Jesus tells this man what to do. He says, get up, move. Come on, stand up. He, Jesus takes charge. It's a beautiful thing, though. It's not a heavy thing. It's a great thing. He, ta- he becomes the leader, and it brings security and joy and fun and adventure, and you don't know, but you're on a mission now with God. He comes in, and he takes the leadership. And then finally, the man was cured. It was a transformed life. A transformed life. After 38 years, he was cured. You know, uh, if you look at some of the statistics for conversions, they say, well, it happens between, you know, it's kind of 16 and 21. Those are skewed by being taken in church surveys, mainly in the USA, that include youth that have grown up in the church that made commitments at that time. When they've done surveys of people who are unchurched, there is no age which is more likely for conversion to happen. God's not limited by that. We knew that already. We know it instinctively. But it's right across the ages. 38 years. 58 years. 18. God cares for you. He's seen you. He's seen you in those moments when you thought, I, I, there's got to be more than this. And he's brought you today. Today, you can make a decision. Today, you can make a decision to do what this man... He said, I can't, how can I? But he walked. But that's my problem. But he walked. But I could never live there. I could never be perfect. No, but you could be born again. God acts in you as you respond in obedience to him. Now, he was tested, wasn't he? First, he was criticized. What do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are getting up and walking? It's a Sabbath. And that will happen. That may well happen to you. As soon as you begin to declare, I have, I have decided I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, there will be people who will try and stop you. Good people who will say, you know, I mean, my, my dad, love him. But he, he really wanted to tone this all down in my life. And it was 19 years later that he too put his hand up and then went forward to give his life to Christ in a church in uh, Virginia in the USA. You know, my, I mean, that was like entering a parallel universe in which my dad is now born again, is now a Christian. That's like, <laughs> but it can be tested. So your commitment that you're going to make now to say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to give my life to you. I, yes, Lord, that will be tested. First, by persecution, maybe. Secondly, by holiness. Jesus said, stop sinning. Something worse could happen to you. And so it does mean a change of lifestyle. It's not just, yes, Lord, I believe. There's a change of lifestyle that comes. Now, it doesn't mean you become perfect all in a day. Look at Andy and I. You know, we are specimens of imperfection. both physically and, <laughs> well, some more so than that. Yeah. So, so you don't become perfect instantly. In fact, you don't become perfect until glory. But you do begin a journey, and the lifestyle change can be seen. It's, it's observable. It can be seen and tracked by others. There is a change in you that God does. 